Hi, Marcy. <laughs> How's it going? Oh, just surviving a time in a global pandemic. I know, right? Uh, love in times of Corona. Love in times of Corona. I see the novella now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's it's a lot less lovely than I imagined. Uh, yeah, and you live in Florida, so that's saying something. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> well, welcome back, everyone. We're so glad you joined us back here with the Pop Culture Theologians. Who are we, you may ask? Well, we are two academics that worship at the altar of pop culture. Um, we love everything about it. And we are just so excited you're back with us. Um, we want to give a quick shout out to our host, site the engaged gaze our sister podcast bible bitches um and if you're not um i've kind of had some time on my hands and have been re-watching classic uh disney movies um so you definitely want to be following us on twitter and facebook at pop theologians and you can follow me at my basic handle right marcy basic bitch Basic bitch handle, J Erickson85. Marcy, where can we find you at your outdated Wonder Woman reference? Um, Ouch! I, it's only a matter of time. <laughs> uh, everyone, you can find me on Twitter at I am the men who can. Um, I actually have to like apologize. I did not live tweet Westworld this week. Um, I did. I know you did. Um, and I also know that you know why I didn't live tweet. Westworld. Yes, I do. And it's because I was overcome and overtaken with another show that um, took over my life. So I think, John, this is a good time for us to talk about what the fuck happened this week. Marcy, what the fuck happened this week? Netflix gave us love in the form of a show called Tiger Kings. <laughs> and I have to admit... I put it on um, because Brent was tired of watching Love Island UK and we have watched everything that has to do with pandemics. Yeah. Um, and Netflix has this new feature, right? That is like it, their top 10 shows. Um, and so I saw that this show was climbing, right? And I was like, huh, well, I mean, we're just going to eat our nachos. Let's just put on an episode and like, if it's not good, like when we finish eating, because um, we've been eating in front of the TV, like it's 1970. Um, and you're eating nachos. I'm so jealous. They were really good. <laughs> they were really good. But um, so I, we put on Tiger King. Um, I think it's like murder something, something, something. Um, you will find it when you go on Netflix. And it is a gift in times of Corona. <sighs> it, it is the campiest documentary <laughs> I have ever seen in my life. Um, I, I even checked in with um, my friend, uh, Professor Martin Kafka from Florida State and asked him, can documentaries be camp? Because I was like, you know, there's a very, very kind of like, very kind of specific lens to what makes something campy, right? Um, and at first he, he was like, well, would Paris's burning be camp? And I was like, I don't think so. But then we both agreed that um, Grey Gardens is camp. Yeah. Right? Grey Gardens accident. is total camp. I think exactly. Grey Gardens like defines camp. I agree. And I think Tiger King has come into this category, claws blazing, mullets rising. Um, Polyamorous relationships flowing. Multiplying. Um, 
teeth a flowing. So everyone who's listened to us for years knows that I am obsessed with cults uh, because I was in one and I got out. And I always thought, you know, like I know cults. I know them. I've studied them. I've been in one. uh, But big cat people and their way of living and complete game changer for me. Not just game changer. Like... Epic. 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 Every episode of this show, when you think that they have revealed the reveal and you're mind blown at what you're watching. And it's just, it's a bunch of people who run those like um, off the highway zoos, right? Um, That are like horrible for animals and whatnot. I guess there is an underground world of people in the exotic animal trade who are very competitive with each other. And, um, you know, there's, there's murder plots. Uh, again, there's people acquiring multiple wives and husbands. There's, um, music videos in it. Um, it is just web series, web series, uh, limbs falling off, uh, just, I don't want to spoil it. Drug addiction, suicide, suicide, um, gay relationships, love in the time of tigers. tigers. Uh, There's just so much. It is such a, look, I'm not going to pretend that I, I'm not cognizant of the fact that it is a documentary about a murder plot. And I totally get that. But honestly, one of my but that's like burying the lead. Like it, it's, it gets there. The it gets there like in like episode six. <laughs> it, it totally is burying the lead. And like, um, at a my best friend lives in Oklahoma, and she was like, "Dude, that dude ran for like governor." And then I see the numbers. the The lead guy of this documentary, Joe Exotic, got more vote in Oklahoma than Elizabeth Warren was able to muster up in Oklahoma. And I'm like. Oh, Marcy, my new name is John Exotic. John, oh, if please make that your Twitter handle. <laughs> okay, I, 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 I am running for public office, so I, I don't know if I can do that just yet. Um, maybe, maybe if I'm lucky enough to win. Pet, my pet name for you. Um, but <laughs> I, like I couldn't, I was like, I, on my Facebook and Twitter, I was like, everyone needs to watch this. And, like, and that's how I came to it, because I had I've seen it. And I said, Marcy, and you said, drop everything you're doing right now. And I did. And on this journey, I said, I said, Jesus Christ, I think outward at my TV, like so many times I lost count. The only other documentary I've watched, and it's, it still pales in comparison, was the one Netflix did like about a year ago about, um, the girl whose parents like just kept letting her get abducted by their neighbor. Um, I remember yelling at my TV a lot during that one. I can't remember what the name of it is, but yes. uh, Tiger King is, is the coronavirus material we need from Netflix. Um, I felt a lot of shame because episode two actually opens up in Homestead, Florida, which is where I live. Um, Mm -hmm. Highlights a place called the zoological wildlife foundation which I have been to. Um, And I'm just going to be very honest because I think that this is important. So I fell for the narrative of the zoological um, foundation. The way that they build themselves is as a sanctuary for animals where they 
they provide sanctuary for the massive exotic animal trade in Florida. We are like the hub worldwide of, of exotic trade. Like at any point in time, probably surrounding me, one of my neighbors has an alligator and one has a tiger. Like, and I'm not even being facetious. Um, but this place that's like five miles from my house, um, it's built itself as the sanctuary. It's extremely exclusive. So like you have to make reservations ahead of time to go. They only let like 12 people in at a time. And um, when you drive up to it, there's a massive gate and like there's like armed guards, right? And so like for me in my head, the first time I went was with my brother and we were both like, whoa. But we, we had read all the stuff and like nothing had kind of like popped out to us. Um, but then at, by the end of our visit, which was uh, amazing, I'm not going to lie, um, my brother was like, something feels off about this place, right? And I didn't listen. And I took Brent for our anniversary. And we got to, you know, meet a ton of animals. Um, we got like one-on-one -on -one time with animals that you would never get in a million years. Um, and then that night when I came home, my brother had Googled a bit. And he was like, dude, that place is run by an ex cocaine kingpin and i was like Wait, what? one of them one of them and he sends me all these documents um, that show that like the guy who's technically my neighbor like he's like this place is not very far from my house um that he had you know been a, he'd gone to jail for being like a massive cocaine runner in the 70s 80s here and like he like he's a dangerous kind of man and like all this stuff and then when the second episode because the first episode focuses solely on joe, joe exotic and oklahoma and i'm like oh this isn't about me um and then they come to florida and <laughs> i was like and there we are so watch it enjoy it gasp at it it is magnificent it is it's a sight to behold it is truly something to behold um uh so in other news uh we are still living through the corona pandemic um we've taken a massive turn <laughs> from the last time we recorded um a week ago when we recorded john you'll remember we talked about how the administration had um, read, and I'm going to use air quotes for read, the Imperial Report, and that is what had them about face very quickly and start to ramp up um, uh, the administration's response and, and everything. And a week ago, we were hopeful that our corrupt crony government uh, was waking up, right? So we wouldn't make the best case scenario, but we weren't going to hit that worst case scenario. Um, in a matter of seven days, uh, we've gone from that to the Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. So yesterday is when it really took hold. The new Republican kind of platform is, well, the elderly and sick, and I'm going to insert poor, should just sacrifice themselves because it would be worse if the stock market and Dow crashed. Um, seven days. It took seven days for us to go from shit, we are behind the curve, but let's tackle this to, you know what? Let's just let people die. That's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. And I was, I'm still really like, um, I still haven't processed. It. I'm really angry. Like, I still can't believe I saw like, 
actual public servants yesterday all over the news saying like those talking points. Yeah. So what Marcy's talking about is the lieutenant governor of Texas basically said like older senior citizens, older adults would be happy to die. So their grandparents, so their grandkids could like inherit like a better economy. So. And that's not how it works. My husband is a nurse. Uh, The hospitals, if we just let everyone die, will collapse. Um, Structurally, we don't have the capacity to deal with the worst case scenario. So the economy is either going to crash with our help or without our help, right? So um, there is no stopping the economic windfall of a pandemic. What's weird is that the administration seems to think that that is a personal reflection on them. Um, And it's not how they react to it is like, I can blame Trump for a lot of things, but Trump is not responsible for the coronavirus, but he is responsible for how we respond to it. Um, And so it's just, it's very scary. Um, I live in a state where my governor, you know, will bow down to anything Trump says. So my governor, unlike yours, John, is refusing to shut down the state, um, is limiting the amount of like testing that they're able to report on. Uh, NPR, like WLRN down here in Miami, pretty much put out what they called a hit piece this morning that says all of the data coming out of Florida is wrong. So when everyone's saying New York and, and California are, and Washington are hotspots, there is a belief amongst journalists in Miami that we are a hotspot. It is just not being reported because we are a Republican state. And how you've all infected this, the rest of the South. Yes, uh, we will become the touch point for the rest of the country because of the spring breakers, because of the cruise industry and whatnot, all going, like folks going back home, um, like the points of transmission are going to be insane. And a really good friend of mine pointed out, like you and I both live in pretty large metro cities where, you know, we, our systems are facing max capacity and structural issues. Um, She lives in a rural place and said that, you know, where her mom lives is two hours away from the closest hospital that has two ventilators. Two. So like when this sweeps the Midwest and the Plain States, it's going to look very different than like New York City, which has, it needs 40 something thousand ventilators, but it has 11,000 ventilators. Mm -hmm. Some places are just going to completely collapse. And so I'm not trying to be like, like, total pessimist but like we took a very scary turn this week and i i studied dystopian anxiety and i don't know what to do with it so and i will say that um places like new york where it's even higher um you know states are doing a lot of aggressive approaches on this california was voted number one just recently in some news sites um for how it's been responding to the global pandemic so um you know hopefully we do flatten the curve in these major areas but marcy's completely right is that while these other areas maybe will flatten the curve we have other places with less access to health care like in and in the have waited way too long and um we're praying for everyone yeah yeah it's just and i'm not a prayerful person right right um yeah i i i don't pray but i send my love to everyone um like i'm extremely concerned um but 
to end the what the fuck of the week on a bit of a of a funnier, happier note, because honestly, all we have is gallows humor and Tiger King to get us through this. John, what is the weirdest thing you've eaten since we've all started quarantining? Hmm. I've been eating usually my major same meals. I'm only eating like once a day, really. I'm not really because I'm working and anything. I think the craziest thing I've eaten is I actually made myself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Oh my. <laughs> That's not weird. It is to me if you never eat. <laughs> That's the LA in you. <laughs> Whereas I have figured out how to commandeer two ramen packets and a half piece of steak into what is a pretty com- like it passes for the Rondon from the Parasite movie. And I'm very proud of the recipe. I need that recipe. I will share it on Twitter. I'll share it because that movie made me really hungry. And I was like looking through, because we're all cooking like we're on chopped right now. Like what's going to go bad first? Like what do I need to use? And I was like, I'm going to make a Rondon. And um, it really, it was really good. So but I also have like a shit ton of Little Debbie's, which I haven't eaten since I was. Ooh, I want Little Debbie's now. Right? Because I was like, these won't go bad. And like, I'm going to want dessert. And if they make it another week, I'm going to be really impressed with Brent and I. So, <laughs> so let's talk about Westworld. Let's go back into another dystopian novel, uh, fiction show. Let's do it. Okay, so episode two is called The Winter Line, and basically Maeve is in hell. Yes. <laughs> and and we're, in, we're back in a world war, which is where everywhere we would want to be at the moment. <laughs> right, right. Um, yes, we are in war world um, again. And I keep going back to this question of like, who wants to go to war world? Sick fucks. Right, like the the like spy narrative that like they have. I'm just like I, I just don't understand someone who would find pleasure in that type of horror. Um, so obviously, our like our girl needs help. Our girl needs a lot of help. Um, but what happens, Marcy? Hector walks in, and I. I was so excited. Um, so Hector, you know, we, we've known him since seasons one and two. Um, he's the coded soulmate for Maeve, but they have a deep love for each other. Um, and so when Hector walks in and like, she's getting her bearings of the situation, you know, she's like, we have to get out of here. And he's like, yes, we do. And, um, and, she misses a lot of red flags that we kind of all pick up pretty quickly, I think. Um, The first thing is, as he's like, yes, we must escape, he gives her two cyanide pills, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Which we know that's how Hitler and Ava Braun supposedly died. Um, Supposedly. (laughs) I've been watching a lot of documentaries online. It's not good. Uh, This... This uh, pandemic's going to turn me into like a complete like conspiracy theorist, but he hands her cyanide pills, which if you know you're a robot, 
you know that cyanide pills would not kill you. Yeah. She's like, um. But she does, she doesn't catch it because the dialogue, hashtag Sizemore's dialogue, is really kind of perfect in this spy narrative. It parallels what Hector would say if he was still Hector, right? Um, but like they they go and they're they're running and they're trying to get out of war world and like um, she figures out that she doesn't have the power she had at the end of season two. Like, remember how she could kind of like, she was like a host whisperer, I think is what you called her. Yeah. Yeah. She could stop people in their tracks. Uh, her and I both. <laughs> exactly. I say that not knowing <laughs> how long I've been wearing these sweatpants. Um, it, it, the world, Same girl. Same. The world may never know. Um, but then uh, she picks up officially that something's up because um, Hector calls her Isabella. And it's kind of a crushing moment because, like, you really don't want Maeve to be alone in this again. Yeah. Right? Because we love Maeve. You do. I mean, I, I, oh. I do too. Oh, okay. I do too. I just. <sighs> I think this, and this goes back to like, uh, we, we definitely blogged about this quite a bit after season two. Um, Maeve to me is an exhausting female heroine because she's just so good. And like, and her heroism is founded on being a mother. And there's just, there's things about her that I struggle with, but I understand why you love her. I also understand that she may be humanity's only hope. Um, but <laughs> Literally. She, Literally. But she figures out that they're in a loop and Hector is not awake in the way that she is. Um, so he gets killed uh, running his loop, right? Um, and she kind of says this like goodbye to him. It's like heart-wrenching and she says, um, none of this matters because none of this is real. Yeah, I think the best thing about this episode is that it literally, I know in the last episode, we talked about the reasons why we love Westworld compared to why your hot brother might not like Westworld um, are because um, it's like a box within a box within a box within a larger box within a smaller box within another box. And then once you finally get to that box, it's a maze um, full of like little riddles that you have to figure out. And then you open it up after you solve that and it's another box and you, you keep going down the rabbit hole. Well, and I will say, I was thinking about this recently, um, as, why I think Westworld is polarizing for folks. And um, I, I don't mean to knock folks who are in the second camp, but Westworld is a show about deconstructing. It's a show fundamentally about the nature of our existence, right? And... Mm -hmm. There or lack people, thereof. Or lack thereof. And for a lot of folks, those are questions they don't like to ask themselves, right? Um, they would prefer someone tell them the nature of their existence um, and, and then they act accordingly, right? Um, as someone who feels like she deprogrammed from um, a narrative, right? Like I, I walked away from religion, which was a set programming of what the universe was about and had to reconstruct the nature of my existence. A show like this, with the messiness, with the like loop, it makes sense to me because it mirrors my own deconstruction, right? And I think for some folks, that is just, it's just, there's a discomfort in it 
that, that itch is at the wrong place. Right. Yeah. Um, and we're all on different journeys and um, no journey is, is better than another. But I would say that this show is like the good place on steroids. It is a masterclass on philosophy and religion. Um, it is just very difficult to swallow for some folks um, the idea that you may not know and may not have control over so much of the world around you. Um, so yeah, that, that's just been running in my head. Uh, and because she says none of it matters because none of this is real to Hector, you know I have to bring up that that mirrors and echoes one of my favorite scenes in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, um, which is when Harry and Dumbledore meet after he has been killed by Voldemort. Uh, one of the best scenes and chapters right. in the whole series. Um, King's Cross. King's Cross, one of my favorite chapters, 100%. Oh, and if you're listening and you're a part of this new, and if you just joined the podcast, anytime Marcy makes a Harry Potter reference, please take a drink. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no joke. Uh, Harry asked Dumbledore, is this real, right? Like, is this real? And Dumbledore is like, what it, like, pretty much is like, would it matter? Like, if it's a dream or if it's not, like what, like, why would that matter? Right. And that is fundamentally um, the same kind of philosophical question Westworld's asking us to ask as well. Like, what is the nature of my existence? Like, what does existence mean? Like, um, and like, that's it's very powerful I think it's very powerful I was devastated to hear her say it to Hector because I would hate to say it to a loved one like none of this matters um so yeah then yeah. then we go to Bernard <laughs> uh Bernard yes we're back with Bernard and he's on his way quote-unquote home um and so basically it's interesting because at the end of the first episode oh wait Marcy could you could you say something to me real quick before I continue on to Bernard's journey. You may be right. Um, so I was right, folks. It's, no, you um, may. My friend, if the show has shown us anything, it's like never, ever claim victory too quickly on this show. So listeners, during the finale, we will come back to this moment when John is right. Um, and Bernard basically at the end of the first episode goes up to a person um, and, and a boat and says, take me to Westworld um, because he wants to find Maeve. That was my opinion of which I was right um, because he knew, yeah. he knows Maeve is the only one in his opinion that can def help stop Dolores um, and even though he knows he's under some weird quasi control of Dolores he knows Maeve is much different um, so basically like they're taking a big boat ride we kind of finally see the outside of Westworld it's, it reminded me a lot of that show um, I'm sorry the movie the Truman show when um, people I... try to find where the big thing is located and and he kind of goes out with that boat and he, he looks in and it's like right there um and you kind of see how expansive and big westworld actually is and so um basically what the show is trying to say is like pretty much like anyone can walk into westworld which is a little crazy i was like i'm sorry like again the westworld security system 
is as good as the purge security system. It's just not very <laughs> Yeah. And so that just leaves a lot of plot holes that were like, okay, like, is Dolores controlling this? Like, do they know he's coming back? Like a lot of stuff that we don't have answers for. Right. Right. Um, and I will say, um, I do still think what Bernard and his quest are is anyone's guess. Um, you were right that he's coming to look for Maeve. Um, but I don't think we know what the quest is yet. Um, which is, which, I mean, that's, that's fine. Um, the, the thing is, like Dolores and Bernard, um, it's that final scene in season two where you see Bernard helping to create the new Dolores host body that has me so confused. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that is hanging over my head this entire episode um, as I struggle to figure out what what their relationship is. Um, but then we we run into someone from the past as well, right? Yeah, the homely Hemsworth. <laughs> oh wait that's later on yes <laughs> we go back to Maeve yes we can say I was right because I said Stubbs would come back but we'll get to that but first we <laughs> we run into Sizemore again Lee we Sizemore. do these Lee Sizemore or is he or is he right so Maeve has shot herself um in war world she wakes up um, monologues to these folks in front of her about the nature of her reality and is pretty much begging them to just turn her the fuck off, right? Like, she's she's making a kill plea. She's losing hope, um, which we can all relate to right now. Again, I don't know how long I've been wearing these sweatpants. Um, but then Sizemore shows up. Um, I love Sizemore. Uh, I think he is a perfectly written foil to Maeve. Um, I, he's a good character. Yeah, he is. And he was always funny. Um, but he's hurt and appears to be undercover to protect Maeve. Um, so he pretends that she is on her loop and like they're misinterpreting all of her like raging about the nature of her reality because that's his his writing and like ushers the the assistants who are Felix and Sylvester out of the room um, to finally be able to talk to Maeve by himself. And he tells Maeve that he brought her back to War World because she's like, why the fuck would you bring me to War World of all places? Which shows that it actually existed outside of what kind of the scenario we're in with them now. And this is kind of like one of the other parks that we've always been wondering about. Confirmed, confirmed. We have Westworld, War World, Shogun World, um, and whatever that colonialist Indian fever dream was. Yeah. Uh, and then so, another world, but we'll get there in a little bit. Yes. Um, so Sizemore says, you know, he wants to get her to his daughter. He wants to give her and himself one happy ending. Like, write one happy ending for them. Um, and I felt like such a sense of like, oh, I could totally be down for Maeve's partner in crime being Lee this season. Like, I definitely was excited to see him come back. Um, yeah. But then take us to Bernard um, and his his run-in with our friend Stubbs. 
<laughs> yeah. So basically we go back to Bernard getting through the most easiest, the easiest security system known to man, a Stanton security system. Um, and he goes back to the old Ford house that was the subject of season one and parts of season two. And he's looking for like a map and information to help him like on his quest that he's still trying to figure out um, that my opinion is, is to, is to find Maeve. Um, and so he goes there and who does he run into but our old friend Stubbs and this is where Marcy you were right you don't waste a Hemsworth you just don't well you don't waste a Hemsworth and that is true and so basically if everyone remembers from our last episode Marcy um, thought that Stubbs was a host and because of how he let Dolores or um really out or Charlotte in the character at the end of season two out. And so she was right because basically what happens is, is you see Stubbs sitting in a chair with blood on one side of his head. um, And basically he tried to kill himself and then Bernard thinks he's dead, but all of a sudden he comes back to life. um, And what happens is, is we find out that he's had one directive this entire time and that's to help Bernard and to keep him safe. So now we basically have a Bernard um, Stubbs Terminator. That's how I read it. So we're in in T2 territory here, Terminator 2 territory. T2 territory. The best Terminator. (laughs) Definitely the best Terminator. Um, Yeah, so... It's interesting because I feel like I rewatched seasons one and two and there were a lot of signs that Stubbs was um, was a host now looking back on it, right? Um, the show's full of such little details and nuances that you pick up on a second or third watch. Um, but Stubbs is pissed because like he pretty much died for Bernard to get off the island. I think his exact directive at this point in time was to get Bernard off the island. And um, there's Bernard back. Hey, I'm back. What's up? What's up? Hey. (laughs) Um, But you were right in that Bernard's like, I came here. What was that? You were right. Thank you. That Bernard says, you know, I came here to stop Dolores, figure out what is going on. He admits he doesn't know what's going on. The big overarching theme of this episode is no one knows what the fuck is going on. In Um, this or life. In this or in life. But he believes Dolores may have let him live to almost act as a counterbalance to herself because she doesn't trust herself with power. Um, Again, that for me is really confusing because technically Bernard brought Dolores back. um, But I guess uh, Dolores may have programmed him to do that. Um, but this is your second Harry Potter reference. Um, we know that their fates are tied to each other. That like, we're definitely getting a clearer picture that Dolores and Bernard's storylines are dependent on each other. They seem to be programmed to function as a balance to each other. And then it kind of reminds me a little bit about the, um, the Harry Potter Voldemort, like neither one may live while the other, neither one may die while the other one lives kind of thing. Um, so, so it's interesting. I don't know. Like the idea that Dolores would put like someone out there to potentially act 
act as a stopgap to her evil or to her decimation of the human race would imply that Dolores has a moral compass and believes that she may be unable to access it or would lose empathy or could become so damaged by what she lives through that she needs to be stopped. Um, but it's just, I, I, I don't know. And neither does Bernard. So that's fine. Yeah. And they're not going to, we're not going to find out for a while because Bernard throughout the whole sense of ever when, since discovering he was a host is that he can't trust himself. And that's been like proven, disproven, proven, disproven. It's really warped with his mind. And now he's really like, I don't really know what to do anymore. So. <laughs> right. Um, and that leads to a really interesting question from Stubbs. Um, Cause like Bernard's like, don't you question the nature of your reality? And Stubbs like the fuck I do. And honestly, how great is free will? Cause you're back here. You're pretty much looping at this point. Like, why are you back here? Like we set you up to escape. Like we set you up to be able to leave and live. Um, and I think that that's true to a certain extent. Like that is Stubbs without realizing it, questioning the reality and the nature of like, why is Bernard doing this? Uh, is it because he seriously feels an obligation, like a moral obligation to stop Dolores? Or is it because he's on a fucking loop? Right? Yeah, like, we, we don't know. know. And that's, that's, that's human existence, right? Like, you know, like everyone's like, maybe this is a simulation. The fuck if I know, it seems like a very cruel simulation at this moment, but like, who knows? So, so yes. Um, Bernard has come for Maeve. Uh, whatever that means, and Stubbs, because his directive has been to help Bernard, and the only way Bernard's leaving the island is with Maeve, agrees to take him to her. So <laughs> here's our little cop buddy duo um, for the season. Our, our little cop buddy duo. So yeah, so then basically we go back to Maeve, and she wakes up again in the world world timeline but like this time she's on a mission to like find the forge and like forever get the f out of here. Um, and this time you see a lot of the inverse. So they spent a lot of time in um, pretty much like the cold open, essentially um, having her be the damsel in distress, which is what her role was in like the previous seasons when people would be trying to save her. But now it's all flipped again really quickly and you can see some of the nuances. So instead of Hector driving, she's driving and she's like, take me to your car. And she tries to beg Hector to come with her to like, get away from it like they don't go to the airport but he can't get out of his own loop because he's not like her um and that he can't quote unquote abandon the resistance and so she basically kisses him goodbye again um losing him once more um and she leaves him with the keys and basically has trying to find any way to free himself um in a different life but she basically runs through the forest i mean it's really uh, symbolic right to hand over the keys to hector kind of like look you have it in you to figure this out i just can't do it right now yeah and i can't help you right now because i got to get out of here to figure out the rest of this stuff right. and so by leaving him with the keys and running off into for into the forest um clearly she's worked this out through size more um where he asked her to basically meet him um and then they take two horses because they couldn't find a car which is like so westworld in every way and they head to the forge together they do and then it looks like Bernard and Stubbs are also heading to the forge um, or at least like the compound, right? Yeah. Um, and Stubb assures Bernard that Maeve would be there. 
which for me, I was like, wait, we know that she's not there. What it like is Stubbs someone we can trust? Um, so uh, a seed of doubt for me during this episode was right there because I was like, uh, we what what? Um, meanwhile, Sizemore and Maeve get into the forge, and she asks him the simple question of how do I turn this shit on? Yeah. And like, how does this work? How does this work? How does this mega computer mainframe work? And he says, you turn it on the same way you did before. And she kind of looks at him and she's like, I, I didn't turn it on the last time. Like, you would know that. Like, I helped get people out through the forge, but I didn't turn it on or off. Like, I didn't close the doors or turn it on. Um, and so Maeve looks down on the floor. She sees the blood spot and realizes that Dolores is the one who, um, who had pretty much done the on and off switch of the forge. So Dolores had been the one who had technically helped her daughter get out, right? And closed the door before Dolores was able to, to get through. But what's mm-hmm. interesting is Sizemore starts pushing her for questions. And he's like, well, what are the coordinates? And like all, he's pushing, pushing, pushing. And Maeve, who's incredibly smart, is like, something's not right. So Felix and Sylvester didn't remember her when she woke up. And then there's something about her relationship with Lee, with Sizemore, that isn't the same. And this reminds me of um, Peta and Katniss when Peta would work, when he was um, hijacked his memories. He said he could always tell when one of them was a hijacked memory because it had a bit of a glimmer to it, right? Like it was missing something that made it look natural. And I think Maeve has kind of a very similar sense of like um, everything about Lee is right adjacent right it's almost there almost there but she but to fool someone like Maeve is really hard to do like nice try guys um the first hint we get is like when he sees her he makes some like petty comment about how she had run off with Hector right um and run off into the sunset with Hector and Honestly, throughout all of season two, we do not get a romantic relationship between Maeve and Sizemore. We get a very human one, right? Yeah. Um, Which helps her to put the puzzle together because then he tries to kiss her, right? When she's like, what the hell's going on? He kisses her and she's like, no. Like she realizes that Sizemore is a plant uh, and is not real. And I think that that moment is doubly crushing for her even more so than the loss of Hector yeah. uh, because you know with Hector she was willing to die she was just like it's over then Sizemore offers her hope and then she realizes there is no hope this isn't Sizemore um and there's a beautiful kind of homage to him so like Maeve knows that whoever programmed this version of Sizemore um reduce their relationship to just him wanting her lust and sex and like Maeve knew that that wasn't it like Sizemore was one of the first men in the entire kind of world she had lived in who hadn't actually viewed her as a sexual object right he helped her because she says it was the right thing to do and he died a good man good man that that hit me so hard um yeah the way in which Tandy like just delivers these lines are just incredible she's an amazing actress this is an emmy worthy performance in this episode for me Mm -hmm. it's great no she does an incredible job it's just spectacular 
performance. So what happens, John, when she goes, he died a good man straight to his face? So basically, Sizemore's host brain basically really struggles to even comprehend what's happening um, because she's challenging him to question the nature of his reality. Um, And basically, he starts stuttering um, and not comprehending things and basically gives it all away and shows that he's actually been a host or that this isn't real, what they're doing right now. Um, And we start to see that they're kind of in this false program. They're in a box within another box. So, yeah. Right. Right. And then we basically go back to Bernard and Stubbs, who are in this warehouse, um, and they lead them to Maeve as a host. And they kind of do these two stories of of Maeve and Sizemore and Bernard and Stubbs at the same time. So the reveal comes out that shows Maeve's actually not in Westworld. and that she's actually in this box within another box. She's being kept at some offsite facility in some computer. And all of this program that she's dealing with with Sizemore is completely um, not correct. And so they see that um, Bernard and Stubbs see that her pearl has been removed. And while Sizemore then in, in the Maeve storyline is malfunctioning, malfunctioning um, all of a sudden the room changes and what we see here is it's all been an illusion and like this simulation. I thought this was a beautiful merge because I told you, like, I was like, wait, Stubbs is leading Bernard where? And I stopped trusting Stubbs. So when we get to the Maeve host and her pearl has been blown out and that's pretty much simultaneously happening with Maeve finally getting a sense that everything around her is not, it's not even like Westworld type of simulation. It is an actual computer simulation. I thought it was a beautiful merging of both storylines, which leads her to ask, where the fuck am I? Yeah, and this is kind of what we were talking about in the last episode, is that all the hosts that she freed in the Forge are experiencing what she did, but they just haven't, they're not woke, in quotes. like Right, right. To, to realize it. Right. The Valley Beyond the Forge, um, we don't particularly know what that is, though I I think uh I think we'll find out. And I don't think it's as um idyllic as Maeve has hoped it is. Um so so Bernard realizing that the pearl has been taken out of the actual Maeve host, tells Stubb he needs to search the mainframe to see if he can find the coding for Maeve, um, where she is, right? Um, and it's interesting because Maeve is walking around with Sizemore, who's having an existential crisis, right? Mm-hmm. Like managing and like Maeve's like, how do you escape a cage that like doesn't even exist? Exactly. And like, that is like, a, like the, like it's again, as someone who has studied and struggled through philosophy courses, I don't know, Maeve, how do you, ex- how do you escape a cage that doesn't exist? Let me tell you who doesn't have the answer for that. Sizemore, who just figured out he doesn't exist. Um, I kind of like the buddy like scenario where he's like, so wait, I'm a host. And she's like, yeah, pretty fucking good one. You know what I mean? Like she, she kind of gives them some props. Like they, she's like, they did a pretty good job. Yeah, like, and the fact that he was programmed to acknowledge that allows for him to move within this existential crisis differently than, like, Hector, right? (laughs) So they needed to program him to be believable for Maeve so he would know that 
the hosts some like he has more information than other hosts but it's just funny that he's like he's like struggling he's like oh shit and she's like i need to get the fuck out of here um someone has me trapped in here they have their own agenda i need to figure out what it is um and, like sizemore's just like staring at his hand like but it feels fucking real um and then he gives what i think is the best line of the entire episode which is, I've been fucking plagiarized. And yeah. I just loved it. Because, yes, yes, he is a plagiarism, a damn good one of himself. And that ultimately, though, does help Maeve because she realizes the weakness within the program she's actually trapped in. Right. So she finds, uh, like, a tablet and starts looking at it. And, again, the security system at Westworld Delos is terrible. But she says that the coding... Um, similar to humans is lazy um, and she's able to gleam a way out of whatever it is that she's in based off of the very lazy coding and for p folks who do coding um, I felt that in my bones as someone who never studied coding but does quite a bit of it for her job lazy coding is so hilarious when you run into it because it's like these problems were unavoidable if you just did the right thing um, so she decides on a plan that I think makes a ton of sense from a data program perspective. She decides that the best way to metaphorically wake up from whatever the fuck she's trapped in is to overload the system, right? So the first thing she does is when two of the, um, two of the like assistants walk in, she just asks them the square root of negative one. And then they just start... <laughs> dialoguing it out and looping and looping and looping and they're able to walk out because the co the computing of it causes their programming to go off course right to veer off course basically she overloads a lazy system and yeah. by overloading the lazy system she's able to find the actual weakness to get out which is chaos theory which is exactly what trump is trying to do right now throw enough chaos and people become complacent mm-hmm so it does really work, not just on hosts, but it works on humans. Um, but take us back to Bernard and Stubbs now that Maeve is just overloading the system. So Bernard and Stubbs are back here and they're um, going on one of the floors where the hosts are all worked on. And we get probably the Easter egg of all Easter eggs is we see Drogon as well as uh, Beninoff and Weiss from Game of Thrones. And so we are 100% convinced now that there is a Westworld world or like a Westeros world. I mean, this is such a like a fan gift from HBO, from, you know, the, the writers of Westworld to the fans of of game of thrones um it makes sense though right i mean a hundred percent that if you have these parks that are attractions um westworld lives in a very special place next to lord of the rings next to harry potter next to star wars of stories that have become part of the natural narrative of it there it is a very elite number like you can count them like on your fingers of worlds and stories that have kind of captivated um humans at a moment in time i would say um during our lifetime you and i john were millennials not to be confused with gen z who, who are ruining the world 
who seems to, everyone seems to think anyone under 60 is a millennial or and like, no. Um, but from, we've lived through technically two. Um, we were born before Star Wars, um, but we've lived through Harry Potter, which was a very defining moment in time. And we've lived through Game of Thrones, which people consider actually the last big TV show. Um, uh, except for the last season. We don't talk about the last season. Um, but no, with this, but with all of this happening, what does this mean? Does this mean like the whole last season? Like, I don't know. Like, can we redo it? Is this our hope? Yes. Like a hundred percent. I would pay $200,000 to go rewrite the story. Um, the first thing I would do is just tell John not to go to the wall. There. Done. Done. John does not go to the wall. Also, like, Caitlin, calm your shit, right? Jamie, just don't throw a kid out the window. He's not going to even fucking tell anyone that you're fucking your sister. Like, there's so many different ways like, for this to, like... I, I will let everything happen leading up to the final season, and I will just go to Daenerys and be like, girl, don't light that city on fire. And see, I would pay to sit in a room with Ben and Off and Weiss and ask them why they hated us this much. Why they And why they hate women. Yes. I would just, I'd be like, why? Like, do you want, you're on TikTok. I would be like Cardi B. Like, what was the reason? What was the reason? I want to know. I do. <laughs> what was the reason? I still, I still get so upset every time. Because <laughs> honestly, I would really like to binge watch Game of Thrones because I'm stuck in my house for the indefinite future right now. And I can't because I know where it ends. And like, that is so frustrating. I know. It is I so know. frustrating. But yes, we get a massive massive fan gift with with drogon himself um the showrunners of game of thrones and then you and i were talking about this before we recorded this to me 100 percent guarantees that there is a star wars world there is a harry potter world um there is a tolkien world um there's definitely like a bible world like a biblical yeah, world some I can only imagine like an old Testament, new Testament. No, yeah. it's straight up old it's Testament. hundred percent be separate parts. Um, can't really imagine why you'd pay $200,000 to be crucified, but you do you, I will do me. <laughs> no, like $200,000 though. is like the surf level. Like you're like, you pay 200,000. They're like, okay. Like you get to be a bartender or something like that. gets you into Disney only after 4 PM on weekdays. Every other Thursday. Every other Thursday. So, um, but yes. Okay. Um, going back to Bernard and Stubbs, they walk, walk into these rooms that are, that have all the Westworld stuff, right? Um, and Bernard is trying to figure out what's inside of him coding wise. So he decides to scan himself, um, and see if he can break through whatever coding is in there to get some memories of what happened between Dolores like and him getting out and today. Right. That's yep. like, right. Um, yeah, pretty much. And basically where we're at kind of with them is that, you know, Dolores had told him that it's going to take both of them to survive. And, and this like kind of reads like almost like a flashback. And so um, we're still trying to unravel the mystery of like Bernard's nature right now. Yes. Uh, Bernard is still trying to figure out. Yeah. He's always been trying to figure out. Nature. 
Um, but as he plugs himself in to scan himself, um, Stubbs goes into action because the security finally shows up. Yeah, so finally. It's like we're like 40 minutes into the episode and they've been having a whale of a time in uh, Westworld. But um, so Stubbs is fighting off the security. Bernard is downloading pretty much scenes of what happened. Um, and then we have a really great moment um, where Stubbs takes a battle axe from the Game of Thrones rooms and just like goes after the security like Gimli in um, uh, the Two Towers. Like it's just, he's like, I'm going to take y'all out with my battle axe. Yeah, all of you orcs. Yeah, it, it was an interesting kind of uh, scene because the loot player uh, in one of the rooms, a host that's a loot player, just continues to play the loop the loot as everyone is getting killed um which to me was reminiscent of the witcher which um you know i have not watched oh you should definitely watch it uh one of uh one of uh the folks that i met in grad school is actually one of the writers for it so um great it's a great binge um it's it's a great i mean henry cavill's in a bathtub in almost every episode so that should sell anyone on on the show Um, okay fine 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 um, so as Bernard, long as it's not a homely Hemsworth, I mean, we'll do it. No, no, it's definitely not. Um, so Stubbs is off with the battle axe to the tune of the loot, and Bernard is downloading memories. He remembers Charlotte shooting him, um, coordinating a change in the coordinates and the swap of the pearls. Um, but then Stubbs unplugs Bernard because unfortunately Stubbs is just one person and they need to run um and so they run um and then we get a shot of Maeve waking up again in West in Warworld um and each time she's nailing the simulation better and better right mm-hmm. uh, and then I'm going to call him Sizemore 2 um is back in the control room and so Maeve um does what she kind of let us know she was going to do, which is she overloads the system by throwing off the narrative that Sizemore had written. So clearly in Warworld, um, what you mostly sign up for is to be like a, a spy in the Nazi regime, right? Um, and so she sells out Hector first and is like, check his pocket. The man's a fucking spy. And Hector looks at her like, what the fuck? Like, it's like, my, know, my love. My love, Isabella. Um, and then the commander is like kill him he's a spy and she's like actually check that guy's pocket check that guy's pocket. check your own pocket check everyone's pocket everyone's a traitor including you including me and that is also a philosophical question and conundrum of evil which is we are all participants i think it is a beautiful way yes um, to kind of address this like problem of evil um question that is is over Westworld, um, but it overloads the system in the same way that it overloads a person to think too much about their complicitness in evil. Um, do you ever want to see a person completely shut down? Um, ask them something they're passionate about, right? Let's say, um, let's say it's it's animal rights, right? And you should be passionate about animal rights, and our system is incredibly inhumane. Um, but then start walking them down the line of the systems that they have chosen to participate in, to protect animals, they're just as fucked up, right? Like, there's no tomato that you are eating that has not come off the backs of migrant workers who are mistreated, um, right? So, like, this is a very real scenario 
that humans struggle with, but made completely throws the whole narrative into like a spin and everything freezes because it's too much. And so there's, there's a glitch in the system. You can overload the system. So everything freezes except for her. Um, and it's beautifully shot. And she walks over to Sizemore, who's entered the, the simulation, right? Mm-hmm. And we think he's frozen as well. And he's not. He's just scared. He's like, that was impressive. Um, and, and she so, flicks a little bullet away from him. I know. I know. And it, like, I honestly thought he was going to say he peed his pants. And it would have totally been fine. It would have been a perfectly usable line. Um, because it was such a great scene. So now that she's overloaded the system, she pulls up her tablet um, and is able to work around the code to get into the cameras of where she actually is. Um, And it's a room um, where these droids are protecting these like multiple holders of pearls. So one of those pearls is her brain and she, she singles in on it and then she hacks one of the drones to get her out. Yeah, and this is where this scene, I mean, the whole episode pretty much focuses on Maeve and then Bernard and Stubbs a bit. Um, and so she has to say goodbye to Sizemore again. And as the droid breaks her free um, and she collapses in the simulation. So now we're back and we're seeing a robot, an actual droid that's Maeve. Um, if you watch the post credits, it's actually Maeve in there. Um, trying to get out so mimicking those emotions and so Maeve getting out um and trying to run away and she breaks free from what looks like where we went to school like Claremont McKenna but it's like this uh, you know architectural factory or wherever it is um and she's almost about to get out but then she's gunned down and the and you really do kind of feel like an emotional reaction to this because you have to remember that that's actually Maeve in there that's being gunned down and and it's it's really sad it is really sad. Um, it is. Uh, I, I, I think a big part of this episode um, is supposed to ask us how far we'll go for answers, right? Um, what we're willing to do. What we're willing to do. Um, and what freedom looks like, right? Um, and Sizemore and her saying goodbye is also a question of who we're willing to leave behind, right? Yeah. Um, and a lot of us who have left a lot of different things and systems and structures and families and people behind know this scene in our lives. Like that moment where it's like, all right, it's time for me to take that leap into the unknown. I'm not going to do the Adina Menzel Frozen 2 song because I can't. <laughs> um, but it's just a yeah no it's beautiful so let's get back to the buddy cop scene ah. <laughs> so bernard and Stubbs are basically by the water they got out of the security and basically bernard now knows that he needs to follow dolores down um, the insight rabbit hole i remember from the first episode insights kind of being set up as like the big bad of the season um and like her millionaire boyfriend who she's seeking and they set off on a boat to the real world and um, while they're there, Bernard reprograms Stubbs before they leave to be a loyal ally. And, um, you know, it's interesting because he asks, Stubbs asks why Bernard just didn't do it to ask, do it. Like, 
right away. And so we like, get, why didn't, he, he goes, why didn't you ask me? Yeah. Why didn't you ask me? Right. And that is a very strange question coming from a host because I'm not sure we're supposed to believe that Stubbs is freed the way that Bernard and Maeve and Dolores are. Right. Yeah. But that, that is a question about his free will. Yeah. Right. And He's asking, he, he obviously feels that he, his programming changed and is like, you could have asked me to do it. You didn't have to program me to do it. Um, which leads us to questions of like, what is free will? Why do we do what we do? Do I have a choice in what I do? Is God a puppeteer if God exists? Um, how many different versions of God the puppeteer exist in this world? Um, so, so Stubbs is confusing to me. I, if he was created by Ford to protect Bernard and get him off the island, um, which is why Bernard would need to reprogram him in this moment to ask him to come with him, right? Yeah. Um, it does, it does kind of bear meaning that like Ford would have put a bit of extra effort into Stubbs versus a regular host. Yeah. And um, remember, we still have the Ford factor. You know, he is ultimately the one that's been pulling a lot of these strings. Maybe we don't know. We don't know where he is yet. I still think that there is some Anthony Hopkins-ness to be revealed. I mean, the show definitely loves its, um, its God, uh, characters so so walk us through the final scene which i think is incredible i thought of you so much watching it because the architecture of that house aka my future house um is so stunning <laughs> it is it's a it's an old concrete factory i mean the site people for this show do an excellent job the world building that this show is doing is is this exquisite i remember learning that was a real job um during the first season of game of thrones on the on the like special features on the dvds back when we had dvds um they talked about that, that one of the actual jobs is this location scouting right so like you go all over the world to find the locations that you want and i was like i want that yeah, like, you're I, like I would like that please i, I want that job um, i want that tiger i want that tiger <laughs> i'm gonna pet that dog um, so <laughs> Maeve wakes up and, you know, um, the show loves to have that over the head shot of someone waking up. Um, she's somewhere very modern, which is a tip to us that we are not on our timeline. We're in the, I'm going to use quotes, the future, like, um, the future real world versus being in some type of Westworld or, or war world or a simulation. Um, Again, this house is, is beautiful, stunning architecture. She wakes up in this gorgeous white gown. Her hair is pulled up. Um, and everything about her speaks to power, right? Um, the, there's also something to be said about she is a direct image foil to Dolores' power. So in that first episode, we see Dolores in a very sleek black dress, um, walking her power moves through the world, right? Now we have Dolores in a sleek white dress walking her power moves through the world. Um, and I think that those visuals are very important um, and they are meant to play off of each other. So she like walks around this house, she's taken it all in and she spots a gentleman all in white. Um, and it's not Morgan Freeman, which was really crazy because I really thought if you're gonna go God, go hard, right? Like, um, and we meet Engerod Serac. Um, I'd spell it for you, but it's ridiculous. Um, We're not that smart. 
I'm not that smart. I'm, I'm only ABD. I didn't actually finish my dissertation. Um, and he tells her that she's in the real world now, his world, which I would be like, yeah, okay. Um, and he says they're in the middle of a war and he needs her help to win it. And he says, my business is in the future. Like my, my business, like the way I make my money is future. And she looks at him like any normal person and or host would do. And is like, what the fuck are you, an oracle? Like, what, you miss Cleo, right? Like, Yeah, who are and, you? And he says, no, uh, my work is to create the future. Um, he has a long monologue about how humans are a plague and they create chaos, but they're predictable. And then he claims that they now have a chance to have a history that is written by a specific author versus the chaos that is humanity. Now, for all of us who watch episode one, this should all be clicking real quick, what he's talking about. We remember mm -hmm. we talked about predictive data and what it could show us about human beings and their behavior. Um, and then he says that he has a system that is able to predict and shape the future that had suddenly stopped working. And he thought it was because of Maeve and he had been studying Maeve. And then he realized it's not Maeve, it's someone else. And Maeve obviously is like, it's Dolores, you idiot. Um, and so now we have Maeve at the center of the system, which Dolores is trying to infiltrate and Bernard is trying to figure out, right? So we were right that the system and this predictive data um, future building uh, computer system um, is the the main kind of villain um, for this season depending on which side you're on um, I don't think anyone really knows what side they're on to be honest um, yeah uh, so Maeve asks him like well, what do you want from me right like do you want me to track down Dolores and kill her because I don't care about your world or your war and it was really stupid of you to bring me here. She grabs a knife and tries to stab him, which I think is a really natural response after you have gone through everything Maeve has gone through. Mm. Um, and then he literally just pulls out his little Atari switch, hits it, and freezes Maeve. And he's like, you know what? I think we got off on the wrong foot. I think we got off the wrong foot, lady. <laughs> uh, but I think... Uh, when when we sit down to talk again next time, you will see why we should work together kind of thing. And that is the end of the episode. Um, great episode. Absolutely great episode. Um, the season's really hitting on some bangers. It really is. Um, it, it It's doing a lot of what I needed it to do in season two when it was just a bit derailed. Um, yeah. This is what I want. I want questions about existence. I want to tackle the ethics of technology, the, um, the nature of, of reality as we move closer and closer to being able to have um, virtual realities and other things that kind of mimic the human experience. So amazing episode. I, Tandy Newton absolutely hits it out of the ballpark in this episode. Um, I would honestly say it is an, like it really is an Emmy award-winning performance just this episode just the way she says fuck it is so much more 
incredible than I've ever been able to make that word sound. Um, so I'm very excited about episode three um, and the rest of the season. Me too. And we've got a lot to discuss. Yep. So we'll see you next week, everyone. Bye. Bye.